following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener. Camp Cretaceous, The Fast and the Furious, Babe, Edward Scissorhands, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Wolverine, Parks and Recreation, Top Gun, Maverick, Angels in America, Stranger Things, Severance, Willy Wonka, and the Chocolate Factory, Ice Age, Ich bin Dynamensch, and Dances with Wolves. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie and then try to determine which one is cooler. Robots, dinosaurs, or an old uh, cargo plane that's falling apart and held together by duct tape. Uh, I'm your host, Luigi, and with me as always is my co-host, the person who picks the movie that we're going to be talking about today. And today, that co-host is returning guest, Leah McKenna-Garcia. Welcome to the show, Leah. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me back again. Uh, We also might have a second guest, my cat, Baby Jane, who might wander over to the microphone or cause some chaos behind me, and we'll hear that chaos happening. Well, chaos is very appropriate, and I do want to get all of Baby Jane's thoughts on this movie. Uh, Why don't you tell the listeners what movie it is we're going to be discussing today? We will be talking about Jurassic World Dominion, the final film in the Jurassic Park franchise for now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm putting big air quotes around the word final there. Like, I don't care how much they've been marketing this as the end of the of the Jurassic franchise. It, it really it depends on how well it does in the theater. And it's it's already doing great. Um, it's an international film. It's going to do great internationally. Uh, so, yeah, there's no possible way <laughs> this is the last. Uh, they also have no competition. Like, there's nobody else out there making dinosaur movies. So, or even, sure. like, putting dinosaurs in movies just because... So, like, they kind of, they've cornered the market, and they kind of have to release another uh, Jurassic sequel at some point, or reboot or something, right? Yeah, I or I think that they'll probably do some kind of familiar formula that we see, um, you know, and the people that own the property... Is this Universal? Who owns who owns Jurassic? Sure is Universal Pictures, who also owns a movie uh, franchise we're going to be talking about a lot today, The Fast and the Furious. Yes, yes. Well, I think, yeah, I think that Fast and the Furious directly influences um, this film. What? Where? <laughs> what, parts of the fi- what parts of the film are? <laughs> what are you talking about, Leah? I, I think just the rehashing <laughs> of the same thing over and over again. So I think we should also mm. make the listeners aware that um, I, my experience of Jurassic Park and Jurassic World are solely this, which is I saw Jurassic Park in theaters when I was in the third grade, because that's mm-hmm. my age. And um, and I saw it after that. And I think we bought the videotape from some fast food chains used to do a thing where they would sell VHSs oh, yeah. of movies like over the holidays, right? And I remember our, my family bought Dances with Wolves from that. <laughs> I think that was a gift that I, I bought for my mother from mm-hmm. a Burger King. Um, and I think we did that with Jurassic Park. 
And so, I, you know, I've seen the movie a few times. I've not seen it in a while, although I did go to the double feature of the original Jurassic Park followed by Jurassic World Dominion immediately after in order to prepare for this podcast. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it had been some time. But uh, aside from one viewing of Jurassic Park, The Lost World, uh, shortly after that had initially come out on video, I, which I don't remember at all. I haven't seen anything else in this franchise. So I know nothing about Bryce Dallas Howard mm-hmm. or Chris Pratt, the hand thing. I was aware <laughs> of that culturally. Uh-huh. You know, in pop culture, I was aware that this was a thing. Mm-hmm. For, the, for the listeners, I'm doing... The gesture. She's doing the thing that Eleven from Stranger Things does when she uses her mind powers, yep. But, uh, yeah, so, but I had not seen it in action. And apparently that's all you have to do to stop a dinosaur from eating you or attacking you, so. It's what I'm going to try if I'm ever in that situation. I mean, there we go. It's a life lesson. So, uh, (laughs) It's like punching a shark in the nose. My perspective of this film is uh, really only based on comparing it and also immediately comparing it to having watched the original film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in terms of the comparison to The Fast and the Furious, I have to say that's a that's a completely uninformed opinion that I borrowed from somebody else because I have seen zero of that franchise. Okay. So, um, but yes, some people have said something about that uh being a, a, an, an even comparison, but yes, no, I think, I think, you know, universal will probably, yeah, see what kind of box office they do from this. And then maybe they will have a television limited series, you know, and it's like the scientist, you know, like a young BD Wong played by somebody else who is young. <laughs> so like now, a prequel series. You know? Yeah, a prequel series mm. and like whatever, whatever, like point of view of the dinosaur or some kind of animation rigmarole. You know, like there'll be the, this property is a property. <laughs> like there's it has it like it kind of can't die in a way, even if it's over. Yeah. So I think they'll find a way to rehash Leah. in some fashion. Are you aware that there is currently a uh, Jurassic Park animated series on Netflix that is, like, actually canon with the films? It's called Camp Cretaceous. Uh, and <laughs> it involves it involves uh, this group of kids that win, uh, like, a Willy Wonka kind of, like, sweepstakes to get to be guests on uh, Jurassic World. So it takes place during uh, the time of Jurassic World, um, which is which is the fourth out of six movies, um, and basically these kids like get invited there. Spoilers for Jurassic World. I know you haven't seen it, but uh, yeah, they, no, spoil it for me. Please. They rebuild the park, and okay. guess what? Things go wrong, and the dinosaurs escape the park. So this show, Camp Cretaceous, takes place during the part of that movie where uh, the the new park is falling apart. And somehow, even though everybody in the movie gets evacuated from the island, these kids don't. So they're on, like, season four now. And, you know, I'm a huge Jurassic 
like fan. So I've seen every single episode of this show. And I, I'll be honest, I started watching it as an obligatory thing. I was like, I have to check it out since they're saying it's like canonical with the rest of the story. I have to check it out. After a few episodes, I was like, oh, I really, I'm really, I really want to see what happens to these kids. <laughs> I really like these characters. Um, and it's actually way better than it has any business being for such a like gratuitous t- tie-in to the franchise. Um, it's actually written pretty well and it's, it's pretty good. So I could definitely see them. I think they're gonna, I think they have every plan in place to continue that show. Um, but yeah, I do think eventually we could just like with all these like star Wars and, uh, Marvel live action shows that are coming out and doing so well. I think it's not unthinkable that we could have like a Jurassic, uh, Jurassic park origins, uh, live action show or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I'm. thank you for telling me about that cartoon. And I think it's so interesting, this observation you make that you you think it's better than it has business in being. Because mm. it's always stuff like that, that someone's like, oh yeah, do that thing with this property. And it's kind of in the background. So people can do whatever they want and then they end yeah. up making something good because no one is trying to have them make more money for the franchise. It's just like, this is an add on. And then they're like, well, we might as well try our best. And then it's actually substantial. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that that's, I'm glad that that is the case. And I hope that these kids figure out the hand thing <laughs> and keep themselves alive longer on the Island. No, and so does Jurassic world, is that on the same island as Jurassic Park, or did they move? Uh, so let's talk about this. Yeah, um, they. So the first the first movie takes place on this island, Isla Nublar, off the coast of Costa Rica. Yes, and that's where they built the park. Uh, you've seen the Lost World, Jurassic Park, the direct sequel, right? Um, on yeah, in that movie, is that when the T Rex goes to New York, San Diego? But yes, absolutely. Okay, uh, <laughs> some major American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so in that movie, they reveal that uh, all along there's been this site B, uh, Isla Sorna, which is also off the coast of Costa Rica, but it's a larger island where apparently from the jump they've been breeding the dinosaurs there, nurturing them for a few months, and then moving them over to the park. Um, now there's already a continuity problem with that, and it's and it's Steven Spielberg's fault because he directed the sequel, which is that in the first movie they show eggs hatching in a lab on the park island. Um, right, which so, is our first introduction to B.D. Wong. Exactly, exactly, uh, and and so we have to kind of forgive this. The, like that's the first uh, contradiction in the sequels that we just have to move past. Um, and accept and just keep going because the this, the franchise sure as hell is not going to slow down to answer questions like that. Um, so, yes, yeah, so so then uh, Jurassic Park 3 also takes place on the Site B Island. Um, just the basic plot of that one is a kid uh, is on vacation with his stepdad. They go parasailing a little too close to the island they end up crashing on it. Their parasail, I don't know, goes wrong, and they end up crashing on it. So Taya Leone and William H. Macy hire Alan Grant to help them go go to the island with them and find their kid. Um, All right, so that 
um, combination of actors has like no business existing. Taylor yeah. Leone and William H Macy. Yep. Together in a in a dinosaur disaster film. That is that is classic late nineties, early two thousands casting. It's right bonkers. There. It features a literally literal talking dinosaur at one point. Um, no. Yeah. No. It's a dream. It's revealed to be a dream, but uh, oh, that's the biggest cop out. <laughs> yeah, but Alan Grant is like sleeping on a plane, and he gets woken up, and it's this raptor that's on the plane, and it turns its head and it says, "Alan." Uh, it's crazy. Uh, <laughs> I wish you could. I wish you could all see the look on Leah's. When I, that. I hope I hope all of this money is how Sam Neill paid for his farm in New Zealand. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you are a Jurassic Park fan or Jurassic World fan uh, and you're not aware of Sam Neill's Instagram, you mm. should be because his Instagram is fire. It's it is perfect. so good. And he often has Jeff Goldblum on because he has visited the farm that Sam Neill lives on several times and they play music together. Mm. Jeff Goldblum just had an album drop. I believe Sam Neill guests on that. Sam Neill learned how to play the ukulele during lockdown Uh. and he's quite good at it. And uh, Jeff Goldblum sings and uh, plays piano. So it's fun to watch the two of them together. And they're just, they're a couple of clowns. I love that. I've seen a few videos from his Instagram of him, like, um, like with all the wild uh, boars and, like, everything that come onto his land. Um, I wonder if, like, when, when they come too close, does he just put his hand out uh, and, and, and they just obey his every command? Do you think he knew that move before he was in this movie? <laughs> so I don't know, because we see Chris Pratt teach it to him and and also right. the little girl. And then they like do it like and the then, triple. And then they're doing a triangulation. triangulation. <laughs> <laughs> OK, maybe we should maybe we should talk about the film. Yeah, real, real quick. I do want to answer your question. I started answering your question and then I, I distracted myself. Um, in Jurassic World, they literally do build the new park on top of the old park. Uh, there's actually a plot point at one point where these two kids go missing in the park and they um, they find one of the old gas Jeeps from the first movie and they're able to like jumpstart it and that's how they escape. Um, but oh, it's wow. literally like they dig up like the old visitor center from the first film because uh, that, that whole movie, Jurassic World, I like it. It's um, but it's very much a nostalgia ride. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. I don't think you're like a huge Star Wars fan, right? Um, but I like Star Wars, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm, I'm much more aligned with Star Trek, but I enjoy Star Wars. The, a lot of the criticism about episode seven, uh, the force awakens is that it was basically episode four, but just redone. Um, yes. and that's kind of Jurassic world. It's just, it's the first movie just redone. Uh, and so there's a lot of just nostalgia, a lot of like Easter eggs to the, to the first movie. But honestly, like that's kind of what, um, as a huge fan of the franchise, that's exactly what I wanted from it. I wasn't expecting too much from it. Uh, now then we get into Jurassic World five, uh, or Jurassic five, um, uh, fallen kingdom, which who boy, <laughs> that movie, that movie is fun and crazy. And it sets up this movie 
And let me ask you, like, you didn't see Five or, or uh, Fallen Kingdom. So what were you expecting? Like, did you did you watch the trailers? Did you read anything about Dominion before you went to see it? What were you expecting from it? So, okay, this is what this is what I thought. So I was aware that Jeff Goldblum, Sam Neill, Laura Dern would be returning. Mm. And B.D. Wong. Um, and I was not aware about B.D. Wong. Oh, And I, oh, I understand okay. that he's a longstanding uh, link back to the original films in the Jurassic World films. But mm-hmm. I, I was like, B.D. Wong is here. Like, I was very surprised. I'm always, I'm always happy to see B.D. Wong, but I was genuinely surprised he was in this film. Because mm-hmm. I think he is like an under 10 in Jurassic Park. An under 10? Like, I think he is, like, under 10 lines. Oh, yeah, no, he's only, yeah, he's very briefly in the first movie. Yeah. Um, so, so I knew that they would be there. I knew that Chris Pratt was in this film. I knew the hand thing was going to happen. <laughs> I knew that he had, I know that, I know, I knew about Blue, that he had this pet raptor. And from watching the trailer, I understood that she had a child. Mm-hmm. And Data. I knew that there was a kid in this movie, which I didn't know why she was there. Oh, that must and have been a that, wild ride learning about her. That I knew that Bryce Dallas Howard was in this movie. Um, and I, I also wonder, like, I wonder about how Bryce Dallas Howard chose to do this franchise. You know, like, I'm just like, like, did her father, like, did she call her dad and say, what do you think? You know, like, do you think... <laughs> I should work on this franchise that Steven started. And he'd be like, well, honey, you know, like, what is Opie? What kind of advice (laughs) is Opie giving his daughter? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I don't mean, I don't mean to be dismissive of Ron Howard. I love him. Uh, But yeah, so I'm just so interested in that. And there's also something about Chris Pratt in this role. It's such like a movie star role. And I guess I also am always... I mean, Chris Pratt has been a movie star for a long time, but I guess that's, I still find that surprising <laughs> somehow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when he's in a blockbuster, I'm like, Chris Pratt? Like, okay. Is it because um, your first uh, exposure to him was, was Parks and Rec? No, because I never watched that show. Huh. There's just something okay. about this guy that I'm like, huh? Like, I don't, I really don't know. Um, so I knew, I knew all of these major players were in this thing and I knew that there was a motorcycle. I saw the trailer and I was like, all okay. right, I'll see this thing. Um, so that's what I knew going in. And yeah, it, I mean, it's interesting because I've just, my brain has just stopped. Um, I, I guess I had zero, I had zero expectations. And it's funny that you said this thing about having to figure out what was going on with the girl, the, the young girl in the movie. Yeah. What was but that, that really like? Did, it didn't really bother me because I wasn't, you know, locked into her from a previous narrative. So finding out that she had been cloned inside her mother's womb and she was a clone of her mother and her mother had cloned her herself, which is Mm -hmm. like this nice feminist narrative that is infected every film that I see now. Now now I'm a feminist, 
But sometimes it's like, okay, pander to me a little harder, you sometimes know? Sometimes it's heavy handed, yeah. It's a little heavy handed. Um, I guess the other thing too is I was surprised that... I was surprised that Sam Neill and Laura Dern hadn't gotten together. Although I will say that I never understood the idea of them as romantic partners because they have zero chemistry in the original film, just like zero romantic chemistry. Um, But then the fact that they were so pronounced in it not having happened and he clearly had so much regret about that. Mm -hmm. I was very like, Oh, okay. Like this is different. Um, yeah, their their but, relationship yeah, no, throughout it, the franchise is is kind of a strange journey. Yeah, very bizarre. So yeah, so uh, so I would say I I just went into this film being like, all right, well we'll see what we're gonna see. We're gonna see some dinosaurs. We're gonna see these actors. I love Sam Neill. I mm-hmm. love him forever. And so like I'm just I'm happy I'm happy to be here for whatever. But yeah, zero what, expectations. What was the biggest surprise to you? was the biggest surprise to me or like the most unexpected thing that you never thought you would see in this movie well i mean i think when you go in knowing that there will be dinosaurs like you're already like primed to just accept whatever else is happening okay but i think i think a swarm of giant locusts was definitely (laughs) surprising um and Oh, and I think I think seeing Campbell's thought in it so brilliantly kind of channeled this Tim Cook, Jeff Bezos hybrid. Campbell Scott was phenomenal. He stole the show. He was and great. I Can you tell me like where where we would know him from? Because I, w- I was looking through his IMDb and there's nothing I recognize, but I also thought he was fantastic in this movie. So Campbell Scott. Uh, was on a show called Royal Pains. He was a recurring character on that. He was in a Broadway revival of Noises Off a couple years ago that mm-hmm. some people might have seen. Um, but he was kind of a bigger star in the 80s when he was like in his 20s. I think he has an, an Oscar nomination from that time. But he is George C. Scott's son. He is Patton's uh, son okay. is another claim to fame. And his mother is also quite an established actress, predominantly staged, but I unfortunately do not know her name. Um, but so, yeah, so Campbell Scott is just one of these actors who has been around forever and you've definitely seen him in something, even though you might not know who he is, mm-hmm. but I was so surprised when he turned up on screen and then I was like, he is killing it he yeah. did he did excellent he did excellently um yeah he's like so yeah the, he, i think Cam, campbell scott might have been the biggest surprise uh although there were several things in this film that tested my patience in terms okay. of the, my suspension of disbelief like there were some things where i was like i'm already accepting the dinosaurs but this has gone too far like what i think having raptors that are trained to kill something that a laser pointer has hit one time and they'll remember that target forever until they've killed it even though the laser is gone uh-huh. i think that 
that is like a little far. I yeah. also think that that villainous's shoes were just way too high and way too skinny to do crime in. Like yeah, that's my next name? thing. Santos, I think was her name. Santos. Yeah. yeah. I, and she, and then she disappeared. There was like yeah. no point for her. There's, yeah. there's something. There's something about things that were, and I and I don't. I have no evidence about this being a fact or something that influenced this production. But there have been properties that I have seen that I knew got shut down because of COVID and then restarted dur- like during the pandemic at some point. And you watch some of this television and you watch some of these films and there's an incoherence to characters and storylines not being as full as possible and you just have to wonder i mean with a movie it's always like oh something probably got cut for time so maybe Uh we saw this person again or maybe there was more here but it just wasn't working you know and like we need we need more two and a half hours and we gotta go so but it's interesting to think like what got cut because of time and what they just never got back to dealing with because we had to deal with COVID and they were like, well, we're just going to just keep shooting, just shoot as much as possible and we'll cobble it together later. You know, mm-hmm. um, I feel that way about the most, the most recent series of Maisel. Cause there were a couple mm-hmm. things that I just thought like, Oh, well that was left open-ended. There was so much of it that was wonderful, but there were some things that were like, well, that was awkward and strange. And I expect more coherence from that series because the writing is so tight all the time so yeah this character that you're talking about santos um i was i i i had a moment in the theater where i was like are we supposed like did i did i forget that this character was in the last movie or the last two movies because they're 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 treating her like she's been around like she's just been this villain that's been around or something and no she definitely wasn't um, the actor is Dykin Lockman, uh, who is in Severance, which is a very, very good show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she just kind of shows up, does her thing in that one scene, and then disappears for the rest of the movie entirely. And if they're if they're if they really want us to believe this is the last one in the franchise, they wouldn't do things like that. Like introduce this character that's clearly going to have a payoff or try to come back in another movie later. Um, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. Uh, it's funny that you mention her shoes, though, because that is, a, I think, a running joke in the franchise at this point. In Jurassic World, Bryce Dallas Howard's character is introduced by her shoes. Like, literally, the camera starts on her heels and then pans up as she's, like, riding this elevator to this business meeting. And later on in the movie... When she meets up with Chris Pratt and they're running through the jungle from dinosaurs, he's like, why are you wearing those ridiculous shoes? And she never takes them off. And at the end of the movie, uh, again, big spoilers for Jurassic World, um, part of the the climax of it is she has to release the T-Rex from its pen in order to fight the the bigger dinosaur, the Indora- uh, Indominus Rex. Okay, she- so there was, an, there was another previous Tyrannosaurus larger predator fight yes uh this was the indominus rex was um a genetic like blend that they created for specifically like they created it in the lab to be like a blend of different dinosaurs to be bigger than anything else that has ever existed because what a great idea 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, these, you know, this is this, this is the company that their their dinosaur park failed the first time, and they're like, well, the problem was we just didn't have big enough dinosaurs. Um, so yeah, but uh, Bryce Dallas Howard releases the T Rex and literally runs away from it in those heels, and it's like at that point in the movie, it's like this triumphant "you can't tell me what shoes to wear" kind of moment. Um, I'm going to run in these heels, I'm going to run away from a big dinosaur, and I'm going to save the day. So I feel like like it's very funny that that's what you noticed about this 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 one-off character in this new movie, uh, is that she's wearing the most impractical heels possible for, for the kind of G.I. Joe villain crime that she's getting up to. Yeah, um, for but crime. I do think it's just that's the... That that's that is their idea of uh, girl power in the in these movies. Is, uh, so we're not just going to kick ass. We're going to do it in heels. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking. I wrote some notes. I'm looking at my notes about mm-hmm. the movie. So yeah, but in but in terms of tested patience, yeah. I mean, I think that I think the laser thing. But all, <laughs> And I'm and I'm also so grateful that we never revisited that. Like I'm mm-hmm. so glad that because there was that one raptor that was like maybe still alive in Malta, and oh, I was like, what if they go back? Yeah. They go back to Malta, and that raptor is still like like on the prowl. <laughs> you know? um, so yeah, so I think that the, I think that that was probably the worst. I mean, I think this whole it's it's so. You know, this is just a problem that I have going into the movie. And again, after immediately watching the first film and then watching this film, this idea of just dinosaurs hanging out in the real world that they're able to adapt. Also that like nobody's talking about global warming. How is that affecting the dinosaurs? <laughs> you know, like are they thriving in this environment? Mm. Like what's going on with them? Um the idea that people are coexisting with them is just nonsensical to me. Like I just I don't that, know. I don't I don't get it. That's especially insane when they show that that end credit sequence where the Quetzalcoatl, which is the largest like avian predator that's ever existed, is just flying along with some geese as if those geese as if a flock of geese wouldn't just be a snack to this thing. Like they're yeah. just oh yeah, they're just coexisting. They're just they're that's they're so bird like. All birds get along. No, birds eat each other now. So if there was one that was dinosaur-sized, it would eat geese all the time. It would not, not just be flocking with them. Yeah, to me, I think the next natural progression of this world that they have created is, you know, the world reverts back to the dinosaurs, mm. which is kind of the thing that Laura Dern said in the first film, which is like, like, like man creates, or is it, um, God, dinosaurs. God, God creates man. Uh, man. De- er, sorry. God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. And then Laura Dern pipes in with dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But but the dinosaurs will also eat the women. Let's face facts. Yeah. Oh, they I will, do yeah. think though. <laughs> um, there were a couple aside from Campbell Scott. I think the other best add to this uh, chapter of the franchise was the actress who was essentially a female Han Solo, 
DeWanda Wallace, Kayla, she, she was, was fantastic. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. Yep. She was so badass and cool and she loved being a pilot. I would have loved to have known more about her backstory that they clearly gave her something with her mother having also been a pilot previously as well in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, naming the plane, the second version of the original plane mm-hmm. at the end. Um so again, that's another question that I have. Like, was something cut, or was it just supposed to be, you know, a depth for this character, or is she going to get her own spinoff? Which, yes, I'm here for it. I'm happy to watch her be some kind of like activist, you know, breaking down the dinosaur smuggling ring, mm-hmm. getting in there, getting out, saving other baby raptors, you know, setting them free so that they can cause havoc somewhere else. So, yeah, I thought that that was so great. Yeah, um, she was charismatic. She had presence. She just looked great. Like when she's in her her bomber jacket and everything, she just looks like an action figure. Um, which is what you want in these movies. Like you want characters that look like, you know, like old serial adventure movie stars. Um, And that's, she nailed that and like pulled off that look in, it's not like this movie is a period piece. Like it's, it is 2022, but she, her plane looks like it's from, like her plane looks like it was built in the 1920s. And it's literally like being held together by duct tape and and a large prayer. Um, but like, yeah, everything about her aesthetic is like that old world serial adventure film, like Indiana, she would fit right in Indiana Jones movie. Absolutely. Um, and she, yeah, everything about her look, her costuming was perfect. Her attitude, her presence. Kayla was one of the best things about this film. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, but I think it's interesting that the thing that we're responding to is this kind of character archetype that doesn't exist in movies like this anymore, but is more present in Indiana Jones, is more present in a Spielberg vehicle from before. And you know, it's just, it's super interesting where we are in terms of movie making now. I kept thinking about this again, watching the original and then watching this um, most current version of this story of man creates dinosaurs, bad idea. Um, just how, how movie making has shifted from that first film. I mean, obviously these are different directors. They're dealing with the material in a different way. Um, but the advancements in technology and also the expectations that people have around a franchise like this, but also how we consume action films now, um, and watching those two movies so close together, it was just so interesting to see those differences and like part of it too is um outside of how the film is shot which would be like maybe a fun thing to talk about you know the thing that held the first movie together was this idea of people versus dinosaurs Mm -hmm. and then in this film it was people versus people (laughs) And that was so inherently just like kind of heartbreaking, disappointing, because that is kind of the world we live in, right? Mm -hmm. And the the dinosaurs were a little bit secondary. But it's interesting to think about, you know, what it is when we're 
fighting to survive against this other force versus the infighting and the ego and the money and society and like who has the best idea of how to save mankind and when it goes wrong and there's no turning back unless you study a clone child and then release a locust into another swarm of locusts. (laughs) Uh, Oh, and the other thing too about, you know, this, this whole setup about the locusts only attacking crops that weren't these biogenically altered crops from this company. I really thought that that was going to link back to Biosyn having total control of the market of the food supply. Right. And so instead of it being just kind of this mistake because they were trying to do some other thing, but they just weren't attacking those crops because they recognized them as coming from the same lab and therefore wouldn't go there. Yeah. There was some, there was some, conversation about capitalism mm-hmm. that felt like it could have been started or maybe like they were going Monsanto. to get into. And then they were like, actually, we're going to do this other thing instead, you know? Yeah, that was a bizarre decision. So let's let's talk about Henry Wu for a second, because um, Henry Wu, in the first movie, like you said, he's got like less than 10 lines. Um, and he isn't he's kind of just he kind of just represents the hubris of the scientists at ingen uh john hammond's genetics company that that like created the dinosaurs he just sort of represents that hubris in like the way that he talks to grant and malcolm and you know malcolm is like doubtful that all of the dinosaurs are female and he's like well you know it was really simple we just denied them the the proper chromosome during their development um and he just treats he says that in a very glib way Nothing about that performance, though, set me up to expect the arc that he takes in Jurassic Park 4, 5, 6, and Camp Cretaceous, where up until 6... Is he he in Camp Cretaceous as well? Yeah, he is, and he is a mustache-twirling villain. Like, starting with Jurassic World... They th- so they rebuilt the park and they got Dr. Henry Wu to come back to like make the dinosaurs and to make this new genetic monstrosity, the the Indominus Rex. Um, and in that movie, I mean, he is just he is a villain. He is gleeful about the fact that he's doing this science for money, and you know, it's all about like discovery and like you know being the first and patenting a, a genome and creating a new animal that's never existed. And he's very like it's all very deliciously evil to him. And in Camp Cretaceous, even more so because it's a Saturday morning cartoon and he's a Saturday morning cartoon villain. So in, in, uh, in Jurassic World 5, Fallen Kingdom, um, very, very, a couple important things to note. One, they introduced the idea of the laser sight that, um, in the, cause in that movie, he creates this, this new, new dinosaur called the Indoraptor, because uh, the Indominus Rex, the problem was it was too big, but the Indoraptor is smaller, um, still has raptor genes, but you can control it with this laser sight. You could point it at somebody and whatever, and like that's how they end up beating it at the end too. Right. Um, so anyway, it's an assassin. It's literally an assassin. The reason for that, and the reason that they show up later in Mumbai or wherever that was that they had the Atrociraptor chase, 
um, Mombasa, it was Malta, Malta, uh, is because Henry Wu has developed that because there's a whole scene in that in the fifth movie where there's a dinosaur auction. They are selling these dinosaurs off to other Saturday morning cartoon villains and G.I. Joe, like Cobra uh, commanders, um, so that they can build their own dinosaur army. So Dr. Henry Wu is uh, just a straight-up villain. So in this movie, it, the most shocking thing to me was that they decided they this guy needs a redemption arc. Like, we need to show him beaten and and old and, like, haggard, and his hair's all disheveled. Sweater-wearing. Sweater-wearing, and we need yeah. to, and we need him to have a redemption arc and be the one that ultimately saves the world because he's this amazing genetic scientist. And it's a, it's a stretch. It's a, it's a big stretch. And I'm not sure if I was along for the entire ride, but it's, it's the ride they gave me. And I've, I've just, I guess just gotten used to swallowing spoonfuls of whatever the Jurassic franchise is, is offering me, uh, because I just have to accept that this, this franchise ends with Dr. Wu of all people, uh, with a big smile, a dumb smile on his face, releasing a giant locust to go infect the other locust that he originally released and created the problem. Um, yeah, it's wild. So that's Henry Wu. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that, again, going back to this idea of, like, we'll we'll just accept this within this franchise. There are, there are just so many things that are like, okay, you know. Um, and I would say that that's very true for me of the the final dinosaur fight between oh the T-Rex the and the Giganotosaurus. And can I just say, you know, the fact that the way you say the name of that dinosaur is Giganotosaurus and not Gigantosaurus or whatever, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just, that just annoys me generally. <laughs> I just, like, not as good a word. I, that's just my completely irrational feeling mm-hmm. about that. Um, but so, yeah, you have the Giganotosaurus and you have the T-Rex and there's a fight and the humans are running, trying to get around, you know, the things. Um, and and then the T-Rex goes down and the humans kind of get out of there. And then the camera like pushes in, pushes in, pushes in to the T-Rex eye and again, you know, not a fan of the franchise the way you are, you know, only invested so far, only like into the first film, which again, watching a previous, like immediately before this, the T-Rex sequence in that is horrifying. Mm-hmm. It's horrifying. And I can't believe I didn't remember the fear of watching that from my youth. Cause I was like, this is heavy. Mm-hmm. And my friend, uh, who I went to see the movie with and we were the group of people, but one of my friends, he's very much a cinephile. And he pointed out the fact that there is no music under that sequence. Yeah. That it's just the editing and it's just the adrenaline and it's just the audio of all the of rain. the things that are happening. Yeah. And it's, that's even more incredible to think about that Spielberg was able to do all of those things with just the audio of what would actually be happening in those moments. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but yeah, but then also seeing that sequence echoed later on where the car is spinning, being spun, and then Jeff Goldblum getting the torch out. Like he's mm-hmm. like, this worked before when I had to encounter the same <laughs> thing, I'll do it again, right? Um, but yeah, so the, so there's this fight and the T-Rex is down, the Giganotosaurus kind of takes it out, but the camera pushes in. And again, having only so much investment, but just being open to the ride, I was... I kept whispering under my breath. I was like, open the eye, open your eye, open your <laughs> eye. And then it's like, boop. And it's like, yep. oh, game on. The T-Rex is back. And he's like an old friend. The, like, the you know, like counted you to- up with the T-Rex and you're like, this T-Rex has got to take him out. But talk about suspension of disbelief. The T-Rex and that other predator? The Therizinosaurus. The Therizinosaurus with really um, Edward Scissorhand claw things Mm -hmm. going on. Like basically impaling the Giganotosaurus with his hand. (laughs) That was outrageous. That was outrageous. (laughs) Like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was the ref like got up to a nine count and then Rocky Balboa is just like not today and gets back on his feet and wins the fight in the 10th round. It's what again, what another serving of nostalgia, right? Because we want like we we're terrified of the T-Rex when we're in the third grade. But by this time, we're like, let the T-Rex win, you know, and that's Roberta. That's our hero. There are so many other gifts that are nods back to the original film, you know, that Mm -hmm. Campbell Scott has the Barbasol can and the (laughs) Dilophosaurus. My favorite, my favorite Jurassic, uh, dinosaur is the Dilophosaurus hands down. Oh yeah. Favorite, favorite creature, favorite kill. And, uh, so the fact that like they're back in the game, they've got their little faces, they're poking in, they've got their little, Love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. And I love the moment where the original three are in their own little triangulation and they meet the new franchise characters and you hear the original theme like come up underneath this image of seeing the three of them. Mm-hmm. Like, that is super exciting and rewarding in a way that like it just should not be because this is not a great film but it's just like in my heart i'm like yes these people they are still surviving they are still working together um and then jeff goldblum giving instruction over the radio about Mm -hmm. how to open a door whatever um you know and then just like his 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 deadpan uh, cele- celebratory voice, victory, victory. I mean, <laughs> excellent, excellent. And it goes back to you before we started talking uh, on on record, we were talking about another film capturing nostalgia, Maverick. Mm. And the bar is low in terms of success for these films because you don't you don't necessarily want or need something new. You just want it to be very similar to what you've already seen in kind of a new-ish way, but you want some satisfaction based on exactly what you had before. I have a couple things to say about that, and I have a big question for you. 
Um, okay. do, is this do one of you, your big questions? Your big no, three this, questions? Okay, this is just a different big question. This is a mate. I should call this a major hashtag major question. Um, do you know that that particular T Rex is literally the same T Rex from the first movie, and her well, name is Roberta? I I did not know that as a fact, but I just assumed that that was the case. Yep. I was uh, her, just like, oh, it must be the same one. And the idea of it just kind of like still being around that just like that was like, oh, that's fine. And maybe that was part of why I was like, it's still you. Yeah. Like, oh, there are no goats here, though. Sad. So we we have no way of knowing what the actual lifespan of a T-Rex is. But most paleontologists clock it at probably 30 to 40 years. Um, and. Uh, given that it was like an apex predator in its environment, probably didn't have a lot of, um, like a lot of things that would kill it other than its environment or starvation. Uh, so it stands to reason that a carnivore of that magnitude kept in captivity by like caretakers who want to keep it alive. It could, it could live much longer than 40, 30 or 40 years. Right. Um, so the reason that you know it's Roberta from the first movie <laughs> is because in the in the, at the end of the movie she fights the two raptors and one of them gets yes. like a big claw mark down the side I think the right side of her face um, and so when she comes she actually comes back in Jurassic World uh, she's very briefly in part five and then of course she's at the end of this movie and it's it, here's the thing the the franchise has taken such great pains to resurrect this dinosaur, this particular dinosaur, and have her be part of the action in this in this new sequel trilogy, that when that moment happened, when she gets taken down by the dinosaur that is like twice her size and would obviously easily win that fight. Murder. And Murder. by the way, a predator is like is not gonna go up against something that is twice its size like that. Well, that's uh, the other thing too. Like, I'm sorry to interject, yeah. but Another point of difficulty in disbelief is sometimes the dinosaurs, aside from the ones that are controlled by laser beams, <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're, they're offered to us with this idea that they have an agenda. Yes. Like if they, if it's like an they animal have, like they have good and it or tries evil, like they have to morals. kill something and yeah. it's like a little too inconvenient, it's just going to go away. It's yep. just going to go do something else. Yep. So... That's just a thing I'd want to say so about when, some of this dinosaur action and it being shaped to further a narrative. That's all no, I want to say. You are absolutely right. They don't behave the way that, like, that everything we know about animal behavior in nature, uh, that, that these things would behave. Um, so when it goes down, when Roberta goes down in this fight... I literally had the thought for a moment where I was like, did, did, are, did, did they really trot this dinosaur out in the last 10 minutes of this movie just so the audience, the fans of this franchise can watch it die? And then as soon as I asked myself that question, I was like, no, no, th that's absolutely not. There, there's been too much fan service so far. There's no way that it's not going to get back up in a moment. And sure enough, like, I mean, it might as well have been like ACDC, just uh -huh, thunder. Like the moment its <laughs> eye opens, there might as, been, might as well have just been like hard rock playing uh, or the Rocky theme or something. Because, of course, it gets back up. Um, 
I also, I would, Leah, I would love to describe to you how Roberta wins in uh, Jurassic World. Because if you thought <laughs> this was bonkers, um, at, the <laughs> at the end of Jurassic World, the Indominus Rex, which is, again, is like twice the size of the T-Rex, uh, comes down, it's it's chasing our favorite humans, it's going to kill them. Uh, Chris Pratt is there. And Chris Pratt's friend, Blue, the Velociraptor... I like that, I like that you say that. It's like, it's it's going after our favorite humans. Chris Pratt is there. It's like, he's not, <laughs> he's not in that grouping within this franchise for you. I mean, it's hunting down Bryce Dallas Howard and also some other people. And was she wearing so- flannel? She he was wearing an absurd amount of flannel in this movie. Oh, well, that, that's a deliberate choice because in the first movie, she's all like corporate, like fussy, you know, uh, uh, corporate shill kind of like bad person uh, character. And she dresses like an office worker. Um, and so by and then in the second movie, she becomes like an animal rights activist and starts dressing down and like a dinosaur less designer suits. Activist. Yeah, a dinosaur animal activist. Um, so by this point, she's like mountain flannel, you know, uh, cowgirl. Um, so she is, uh, she releases the T-Rex because Blue, the raptor, and his two, his, her, her two raptor buddies, her, because she's a mom. So, uh, but again, I guess monitor lizards can reproduce asexually. I don't think we have time to get into the science of that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the fake science. Anyway. Blue and her, her two raptor friends are fighting the, t- the uh, Indominus Rex, and the Indominus Rex takes two of them out. So Bryce Dallas Howard releases the T-Rex. T-Rex comes out. The T-Rex, I'm not, I, I wish, I wish I could convince you that I'm not making any part of this up. The T-Rex and Blue the Velociraptor decide to team up against no. the, Indo- yes, against the Indominus Rex, and they're doing pretty well, but at some point, the Indo, Indo, Indominus gets the T-Rex on the ground. It looks like the fight's going to be over. But then that giant whale-looking thing, the Mosasaurus, just comes out of the water because they're on the edge of the water tank that it's in uh, and, and grabs the Indominus Rex by the leg and pulls it into the water and eats it. Um so I don't that know if that's a, that is the useful Deus Ex Machina. Is that more or less absurd than the Deus Ex Machina of of Edward Scissorhands uh Asaurus? I think it is more absurd because I think I accepted the what is the Edward Scissorhands dinosaur? Therizinosaurus. I think I accepted the Therizinosaurus Giganotosaurus Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> Uh, fight as kind of a moment of like predator versus alien, you know, like we're really just here to see the monsters fight each other. And like, who would be the victor in this crazy mashup. But I think taking out one of those creatures with another creature in such an absurd way, I think that that is pretty weak. Yeah. Um, that's that's all I have to say about this whale situation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. I, let me look at my let me look at my notes. Um, uh, see if there's anything else I'm like desperate to talk about. Well, my other my other big question for you. You were talking oh, about yeah. Dotson. Um, 
this is Campbell Scott, Lewis Dotson. Yes. He's the Tim Cook, like, CEO of Biosyn. Do you know that he was literally in the first movie as well? No. Yeah, um, so I feel like this flew under the radar because they didn't really call attention to it. Oh, he's other than the that guy Barbasol that can. pays the money yep. to Nedry. Yeah, Nedry, that <laughs> scene where he, he comes, like, Nedry's in Costa Rica and, and Lewis Dotson comes with this suitcase yeah. full of money and the Barbasol can. Don't get can. cheap on me, Dotson. Exactly. Yep, that is him. Different wow. actor, though, because that actor apparently yeah, is, like, a sex Campbell offender Scott. now. And is... Oh. Uh, so he wasn't recast, or he was recast, the character was recast as Campbell Scott. Um, but yeah, that is literally Lewis Dotson. And so uh, this actually tracks with everything in like the books, because there, there was a sequel to the first book, and yes. Lewis Dotson's a big part of that book. Um, and all of the like supplemental Jurassic video games and stories and stuff that have come out since. Uh, mm-hmm. It totally tracks that Lewis Dotson... Like I was excited that they brought this character back because it's like it makes it makes for a cool villain. But at the same time, it goes back to what you said earlier. Like, I don't know that I want a human to be the villain of the franchise. Like, I don't. Well, uh, at the end of the day. Yeah. It's interesting because I think that some some of these things, there is like a natural evolution to you know, where we were with the original film and where we are now. Mm-hmm. So like, of course there would be a think tank dealing with these dinosaurs. Of course we would have this like tech genius magnate CEO, whatever kind of wandering around. Of course, um, Jeff Goldblum's character would be hired as a philosopher to <laughs> kind of Ted talk to these people who don't really understand what he's saying to them because he's mm-hmm. basically telling them that they're destroying the way of, you know, life as we know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course people are buying stuff with their wristbands and there's a coffee bar in this place. Like there's <laughs> something we accept that as happening in the world we live in. We see that every day, like these places exist, these people exist. And so naturally the, hubris that comes with the idea of being able to control these things, being able to do, uh, you know, to use them for good or whatever you interpret as being good. And the kind of God complex that comes from anyone or lives inside anyone who thinks I'm going to make dinosaurs, you know, I mean, like there, isn't there someone now trying to bring back the woolly mammoth I've heard that that yeah they want to like breed uh, the they have like a frozen mammoth DNA and they want to um, combine like that it is with someone an elephant. Who could learn a lot from watching these films? Yeah, right. Like yeah, where have I, they been that they didn't you know watch the inevitable of what goes on? Also, why the woolly mammoth? I mean, talk about a completely useless animal today (laughs) like are you like no like what is like what's the end game for that like if there's a second winter which there won't be because the the planet (laughs) is getting too hot if there's a second winter like do you sell these uh for transport Mm. or for like some kind of different way to like ship things or are you doing um like, are you doing like a bantha thing? Like, if it's too cold, you cut it open, you climb in, you know, like, 
Like, why the woolly mammoth? There surely there must be other creatures that would have a greater sense of utility to the mm-hmm. world we live in now. Like, this is just a bizarre pet project. It's um, the epitome. It's the epitome of what Goldblum says in the first movie, which is your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Right. Yeah. There's I also no, think it's. Go it's, ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's also just something where it's like, this person has too much money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's, to do this thing. It's, it's, it's a crazy premise to begin with. <laughs> I, think, I think the other thing, too, about, again, watching the first film immediately before this, the wonder... The, part of the magic of the first movie is the wonder. But and mm-hmm. like and also the wonder of like the fact that they were doing that kind of level of like CGI and animatronic puppetry, practical puppetry, um, the combination of those two things that were happening really for the first time at that level in the movies, you know, seeing that happen as children, that was amazing. The idea of going somewhere and seeing dinosaurs, that was amazing. And this movie had no wonder. Mm-hmm. There, there was like no magic about it because, you know, in the first film, it's horrible, like they're running, but then they wake up and the apatosauruses are there, you know, mm-hmm. or the brachiosauruses. Yep. Whichever species that was. Brachiosaur, yeah. It was a brachiosaur. Brachiosaurus. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the idea that, you know, that kind of, again, the Spielbergian magic of that first movie just doesn't exist at this point in the franchise um, is like, it was just like disappointing. Yeah. And because they, like, they were leaning more into the whole, like, Oh, we, here's Chris Pratt and he has a relationship with this dinosaur. And the, I do. The dinosaur I, that wasn't even with him through the film. Like if he had taken blue with him on this journey and they had gone together to find blue's daughter, that's a different movie. That's a different story. That's what I thought they were promising us with, with this movie. Yeah. But instead, yeah, it's just like, I do appreciate that there is a moment where like Maisie is, she, she first meets blue's daughter when he like comes near the house and then Chris Pratt shows up and he's like, you know, let's go back inside, hurry up. And she's like, oh, no, it, she won't hurt us. She knows you. And he's like, no, she absolutely will. She's a dangerous animal. Um, I appreciated that that was in there because, like, at least Owen as a character has enough humility uh, and and is not so arrogant that he recognizes, like, it doesn't matter that I've known this velociraptor since it was born um, it doesn't matter that I have this strong bond with it. At the end of the day, it's a wild animal and it has a baby to protect. And all of that goes out the window, like when it comes down to it. So I appreciated that they had that one moment of reality. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, when I saw the locust, it, it, it goes back to what you're saying. Like, the, it's not wonder. It's like, get these things away from me. This is not what I, I don't want locusts. Like, right. It's it was not at all what I was expecting. It makes some sense. But my first thought was, oh, did they accidentally like resurrect this this giant insect species from the prehistoric era? 
mm. uh, as a byproduct of resurrecting the dinosaurs. Because in the first movie, right. Laura Dern, she's a paleobotanist. And the reason right. she's brought to the island is so she can analyze, like, and the, immediately, like, within five minutes of her getting right. to the she island. she sees that leaf. She's, she's like, like, this shouldn't be here. This shouldn't be here. You have the, she tells Hammond to his face, like, you have a bunch of venomous and toxic plants in this in the building and you pick them because they look nice but these are aggressive living things that will defend themselves they have no idea what century they're in so i thought like maybe the locust was like an accidental byproduct and that Mm -hmm. could be a cool Mm -hmm. thing like maybe we've we what else did we accidentally did we resurrect like some sort of virophage or something that that is responsible for killing off the dinosaurs and that's going to be contagious uh, and cause a pandemic, probably not the best direction um, for a sequel to go in. Right. You know, like what but, is the, what is the dinosaur version of monkey pox that like right. being near a dinosaur will give you, or it like jumps to the herd of cattle that you have that is grazing with whatever Chris Pratt. Oh, okay. Another unbelievable moment. Chris Pratt as a cowboy. <laughs> Um, hog tying a dinosaur mm-hmm. and then like taking him back with him, trotting us like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I, I, I can understand your resistance to it. I feel like if you've seen the, the last two Jurassic world movies, though, I just learned to ride the ride kind of cause they set, they set that up with a very heavy hand as well. Like him being like, that's his whole thing. That's the reason he works at Jurassic world is he's a dinosaur wrangler. Um, like he literally has worked with uh, blue and her three, raptor friends that all get killed in the first movie. Um, but he's literally like been with them since they hatched and yeah, it's raised her from a pup, raised her from a pup. It's crazy. Um, (laughs) so I don't know. I guess what, I guess what I do appreciate about the locusts, cause I didn't want locusts. I didn't want a story about locusts. Um, but what I ended up appreciating about it is like, it does kind of, create a logical reason for why Biosyn is and like why Lewis Dotson is the villain of the franchise or at this point is the villain because you know what they're trying to do is use this technology and find practical applications for it outside of selling tickets to a park and Mm -hmm. I don't know I, I don't I guess I don't fully understand the locust B story but um but yeah, I guess it was not their original intention. Uh, I like that it did bring Dr. Sattler back into the movie because she's my favorite character in, in all of the Jurassic franchise. So I was just excited to see her again. But really, at the end of the day, what like what did they what did she have to do? She like collected a sample and then she had to keep that sample safe for the rest of the time she's on screen. And Furthermore, what what was the point of Alan Grant being there? Like, how did that help that he was there? What was the point? Uh, what was the point of Ian Malcolm being there? Like, there, it's... I don't want to pick these things apart because I bought a ticket knowing that these three characters are going to be in the movie, and it was a big draw for me to go and see yeah. it. I, I mean, if they weren't in it, I was going to go see it anyway. But arguably, there... Arguably, the movie would have been better without them. (laughs) And I I hate saying that out loud, but I know in my heart that it's true. Right? Like, 
Yeah, because it's... Uh, it at least would have made more kind of sense. The script would have made I, more sense without them. Right, and I think that, like, part of the... Um, I mean, classic storytelling 101, right, is, like, the 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 characters, our heroes need each other in order to achieve the ultimate goal, right? Mm -hmm. And so you spend most of the movie just watching these disparate groups of characters eventually ending up in the same place and then kind of combining their powers to help each other do different, fundamentally different things in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're not even going after the same thing necessarily uh so it does it does feel like we're getting away when you would shift between the groups you always felt like you were getting away from the real point and so like the chris pratt angle that's like all the action you're getting in the film like that's like the trajectory of like this killer dinosaur laser it's motorcycle (laughs) chase in malta I did. It did make me want to visit Malta. I have to say, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, this seems like a cool place to go." Um, but then, with the Sam Neil front, you have this sort of sense of like, "This is where we are now as people." So there's mm-hmm. this weird human introspective journey question about creation and what we can do with science and what we should do with science and like these kind of like larger tech conglomerates and their personal responsibility about the innovations that they put out into the world and the consequences Mm -hmm. of those things, the consequences that we all ultimately have to pay a price for because their reach is so great. Right. Mm. And so these two story types are fighting each other in a way you know, when it's like straight up action and then questions about morality of science, um, they just seem so divided. And so mm-hmm. you're kind of watching two different movies, but there are dinosaurs in both. You know, it's just like, yeah. what is this space? Uh, and then they're together in the treehouse. Yeah, it's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it, it wants know. it wants to go into the ethics of GMOs at the same time as the ethics of, of human cloning. And the movie, by its own premise, cannot be taken seriously enough to tackle either of those issues, let alone both of those issues. And also, like, and I, I know that this is set up in the previous film, and so this is a continuation of the canon, but like, who cares about human clones? Oh, These are yeah. movies about <laughs> dinosaurs. These are movies about dinosaurs. <laughs> Why are we taking time out to talk about cloning humans? Nobody here came for that yeah. sci-fi storyline. This is a distraction. Where are the dinosaurs? Yep. No. Yeah, no. it's it's just like the locus where it's it is if you sit and think about it, it's the logical inevitable conclusion to if we're if we're making this cloning technology and using it to resurrect extinct animals, eventually yes, that like that is someone is going to unethically use that for human purposes or for human cloning. 
Um, but it's, yeah, it's not the movie that I want to see, though. It has nothing to do with, yes, I get that, like, we would get there in the real world, but I'm here to see dinosaurs fight each other and chase people on motorcycles. Yeah, I'm like, here to um, see the Giganotosaurus <laughs> get <laughs> kebobbed. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. I'm here to know that Roberta will never die. She can't die. No. When 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 she reaches old age, they're just gonna like make her into a cyborg and then so she can clone just clone Roberta. Exactly. Right? They'll be like, oh Scars she's, and all. she's an international treasure. Yep. Yeah, the other thing too is like how do these dino well, maybe this is something you'd like talk about in these other films. Like how do the di- the dinosaurs get from country to country like there's no pangea anymore like are people shipping these dinosaurs around like how did roberta get over to italy and like why is blue in the forest and chris pratt seemed genuinely surprised to even see her mm-hmm. so it was kind of like you know uh homeward bound like she found her way back to him but like also why yeah. is a raptor hanging out in an ecosystem where there is snow. Like, that doesn't yep. seem like a good idea. Nope. The raptor would know this. The raptor is not like, oh, pretty cold. Let's find a little hole. You know, like, no. Especially when it's making its nest. It's ha- it, it, it is going to have a baby and it needs to make a nest. That is, yeah, absolutely not. Um, but yeah, it had to happen so that it could be within proximity of Chris Pratt, I guess, and his parasaurolophiluses and horses. Uh, it's, it's, it happened because it was the next thing that needed to happen, um, which is very, very much yeah, like... you know, and Lou, I'm so sorry because yeah. I feel like I've, I've wasted so much time during this podcast basically being like, but why would dinosaurs do this? You know, like I, I really, I should have just gone on the journey. <laughs> no, these are the valid questions, thing. though. These I are mean, valid like, you know questions. What? This is the this is the blockbuster we were given, and maybe it's the blockbuster we deserve. Quite frankly, like it's we don't the one deserve we to have these culturally. questions. We don't have these. We don't deserve to have these questions answered to us because we don't even deserve to ask them. You know, if we're if we're Absolutely. six movies in at this point and a TV cartoon show, which is apparently very good, you know what? What ride the ride? Roberta yeah. will never die. I want that yeah. on a T-shirt. If, Roberta will never die. It's we, just the open eye of <laughs> If we have collectively given this much of our money and bought this many tickets to the to six of these movies at this point, yes, this is absolutely the sequel with the level of explanations that we deserve. Deserve is a perfect yeah. word. I do Hashtag. think there's an answer to like how do these dino- I get, uh, how do they get there? How do they get transported around Kayla? Like, ultimately, that is kind of her her job, right? She's a, if you had to describe what this character is, yeah. she's a dinosaur smuggler. Dinosaur smuggler. smuggler. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is just, that's a cool job title. <laughs> and I do, that's I want to, awesome I want to see more of the adventures of a dinosaur smuggler and a lot less of uh, locusts and uh, Maisie, Maisie Lockwood and human cloning. Um, yeah, I vote for <laughs> Kayla. Kayla spinoff, but like solo, like not, yeah. well, not like solo. Right, Talk right. about a movie that was incredibly underwhelming. Although I wouldn't um, be mad if Lando Calrissian like hung around with Kayla in her, in her 1930s bomber 
I wouldn't plane. be I wouldn't be mad if Lando Calrissian got a spin-off movie of his own. Mm. That would be fine. That was excellent recasting. <laughs> excellent. Yeah. Excellent recasting. Um but yeah, I mean Han Solo's a jerk. We don't mm. have to we don't have to make him a lovable dude. He's not a lovable yeah. dude. He's I don't a need jerk. A, I don't That's need why he's charming. Movie. Explaining how he got his gun and his last name. And his and- heart broken. <laughs> and that's why he's mean. Come yeah. on. Get uh, away from me. <laughs> Maisie, just to just to sort of like tie a bow on Maisie for you, because you haven't seen the prequels. Um, the prequels, the the two other Jurassic World movies. Oh, the uh, clone girl? Yeah, Clone Girl. We find out in five. Uh, five is wild. I really do think you should you would like five because it's ins- it's so insane uh, that if you liked this movie, <laughs> I think you would enjoy five for the same reasons. Um, that's I, the movie. Like like is an interesting word. Enjoy. <laughs> I mean, you you were entertained I, I, by. I was entertained. Yeah. I was entertained. <laughs> I was entertained. Um, they introduce Maisie in five, and she is the allegedly granddaughter of this guy who is played by, um, oh my God, why can't I, why am I blanking on his name? Um, uh, he was in Babe, the Talking Pig. Uh, Cromwell? Cromwell, thank you so much. James Cromwell. So she's the granddaughter, allegedly, of James Cromwell, who was best friends with Hammond back when he started in Gen. And they reveal by the end of the movie no, she's not his granddaughter. Uh, he had a daughter. And in that movie, they say that when his daughter died, um, he was so distraught that he had her cloned. And that's who right. Maisie is. And that's what right. Maisie finds out about herself. So it's actually Maisie at the end of the movie when they're doing the dinosaur auction. She releases she the releases dinosaurs. She releases the dinosaurs because right? she's like, they're yeah, just like they're me. they're living things. Yeah. And they're actually about to all get, like, chloroformed and killed by this gas because... Oh, yeah, because wasn't Bryce Dallas Howard going to let them die? Yes. They had, like, a fail-safe built in that, like, if if these dinosaurs are about to escape, we just release this gas that kills them all. And Maisie saw this about to happen, and it was like they had their hand right over the button, uh, and she was like... No, and she slams the other button and opens the door so they all get out. And she's like, they're just like me. They're just like me. Um, So that sets up the premise of Six, which I really, I really felt like they promised us it was going to all be uh, the Malta thing. Like, it was all going to be like, dinosaurs are out in the world. Let's go to different countries and check in with how bad things are because there's dinosaurs now. And like half of, maybe like 40% of the movie was that. And that's when it was the best. It's as soon as they went to the isolated dinosaur sanctuary in the middle of a mountain that, like, I feel like that's when it started to go south because it was no longer... I mean, up to that point, it was the Fast and the Furious, but with dinosaurs. Um, And I've been saying for years, as a fan of both franchises, I would love nothing more than an actual crossover between these two film franchises. And that's almost <laughs> what they gave us with Jurassic World Dominion. Almost. Uh, but then, of course, I, by the end of it, they were like, no, they're just going to an isolated dinosaur sanctuary and they have to escape from that, just like in all the other ones. I think the other thing that I find difficult to believe is the idea that humans would even put up with that many dinosaurs running around. Yeah, because yeah. people would. I mean, the guns in this country. 
people would be just shooting the dinosaurs. I mean, obviously, yes, there would be trade. Obviously, there would be activists. Mm -hmm. But they are predators. (laughs) Most of them are predators. And most of them are, they're basically, they would be an invasive species now. You know, like they they don't uh, help support the ecosystems that currently are in place that are, you know, delicately balanced. Mm -hmm. So the idea that people would be fine with it, the idea that the government would be fine with it, that they wouldn't be regulating the dinosaurs in some way. I mean, I do think it's fun that there's there's a government body that is dealing with the rescue of dinosaurs that are being held in captivity and in an illegal fashion. Like that's a fun, that's a fun world ad. But, um, but you know, if we're going to track the natural tech evil genius thing that we all recognize in the world now, then we should also be tracking the fact that people would have just shot these things. Yep. You know, for sport or because they were annoying or because they were afraid or whatever. So, like, the idea that they've even lasted outside of captivity for this long is ludicrous. Yeah. When we think about mankind. Mm -hmm. Like, that's because we we are the dominant species. Like, that is how we choose to define ourselves, which is why we're in all this trouble now. Yep. So the idea that it'd be like, oh, well, dinosaurs, that's that's fine. Yeah, we would not be okay with it. We would not let it stand. I do think it's appropriate that we see things like an illegal breeding farm where they're like raising them as cattle. Um, What did you think of the scene where I I think it's in Malta where, yeah, it is uh, where where they have like like an underground fighting ring with like the dinosaurs, like dog fighting. And did you notice that some people were like eating dinosaur kebabs and stuff? Like they were cooking Mm -hmm. them. Like that is all, that's good world building. Cause that is exactly, there would be like a criminal underworld, like a black market trade. There would be illegal breeders and cattle, cattle farms and stuff. I think I agree with you. I think if there had been more of that element in the film, I would have, I don't know, I maybe accepted the reality more that yeah. I was being offered. But there were too many things that were like, well, that doesn't track. And then that also directly contradicts this other thing over here, which is like maybe more interesting mm-hmm. because it also, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's wild. It was trying to, it was trying, it was bite, it bit off more than it Doing could Doing a shoot. lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. It was trying to be a movie for all the people. So speaking of things that bite off more than they can chew, um, I'm gonna, <laughs> since we're talking about dinosaurs, uh, Leah, I'd like to ask you my, my three biggest questions that I had while I was watching this film. So it is time for Lou's Big Three, and I'm just putting a cue in for myself when I edit later. This is where I'm going to put in the theme music. Lou's Big Three, it's you and me. We're going to have fun with Lou's Big Three. All right. That was great theme music. Thank you, Ryan, for singing our Lou's Big Three theme song. Leah, Lou's Big Three, number one, did you have a favorite dinosaur in this movie? My favorite dinosaur uh, will always be the Dilophosaurus. I will always stand the Dilophosaurus. I know mm. that the frill 
is something that was added that's like maybe not something that they have fossil evidence for having existed. They also probably um, did not spit venom. There's no proof of that whatsoever. They, yeah, and they also <laughs> probably weren't those colors. Like we we have mm. no way of knowing any of these things. But I love them. I love how small they are. Yeah. I love how you turn your head and then you turn back and there they are again. They're closer. I love that there was more than one. Yeah, in this I love movie. that. That was so fun. Um, and I love their little like, like, and like, they just look like they're interested, but then they murder. Um, yeah, I just, they're, they're exceptional. And I like how they take out the baddie every mm-hmm. time. Like you can rely on the Dilophosaurus. But I think in terms of dinosaur, not from the original franchise, but uh, new to me from this movie, I think the one that you said the name of so many times before. Edward Scissorhands. Therizinosaurus. The Therizinosaurus. The Freddy Krueger-saurus. The Freddy (laughs) Krueger-Edward Scissorhands dinosaur. I think that that was kind of, just because it was just like a ridiculous thing. Like, yeah, that was just like ridiculous, and it looks and like so, a bird uh, that more, was than any, more than any of the other dinosaurs. It they does look like, like a bird, bird more than any of them. Yeah, um, Doctor Grant was right all yeah. along. That was that was the whole point of this. Um, yeah, so I think that that was my favorite ad for this film. Uh, I was underwhelmed with the Giganotosaurus. That just felt yeah. like a gimmick. I was like, I, of course that dinosaur is going to be in this movie because the Natural History Museum has this huge skeleton of this dinosaur now. Like, I was just like, oh, obviously this dinosaur had to show up in this movie. But this thing I had never heard of, uh, and so that was interesting to me. And Mm -hmm. again, the kebabbing action. I just thought that was excellent. That was a nice feature. That's a good choice. What's really interesting about the Therizinosaurus is that it's a herbivore. Um, So it has, like, that size and the huge claws and everything. But the first thing we see it do is it sideswipes this deer. Uh, you think it's going to, it's doing that cause it's going to eat it. No, the deer was eating the berries that it wanted to eat. And it was like, no, those are my berries. So yeah. Um, yeah. That's and really that was cool. some nice comic relief in mm-hmm. a, in a time of like heightened stress and action. So having a little dinosaur slapstick, was excellent. Also, I didn't know this until after the movie and I was sort of reading up on it, but apparently it's blind. And that's why Bryce Dallas Howard was able to get away from it by just hiding under the surface of the water real quick. Because it looked to me in that scene, the way they shot it, that like it saw her go in the water and that she wasn't even trying to like get in the water that fast. I don't know how she knew it was blind. I have no, nobody's offered me any explanation for that. Uh, And there isn't one. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, apparently it was blind as well. And I, and I haven't found out if that is because all Therizinosaurs are actually blind or if that particular one was blind because of cloning or whatever. But, but yeah, that was, it was a very cool dinosaur. Uh, it looked really cool. I love the fact that it was like authentic. Um, and they mentioned this at one point in the film that like, they're like, oh, no, we don't have modified dinosaurs. We, we, like, found the complete genome sequence, so they look like they actually would. And there was that other one, the pyroraptor, the one that was, swims under the ice uh, when yes. Chris Pratt and, and that was Kayla an first got there. Yeah, 
Um, I kind of wish we had seen more of more things like that or that they had been featured more. Um, Again, del- more, yeah. more dinosaurs. There should yeah. have been more dinosaurs. The Dilophosaurus, uh, what's, what's good about that, what they, what they nailed with that, is it's a, it's a fair bit of irony with Dodson in particular because um, they, he is the one that gives Nedry the Barbasol can. Nedry mm-hmm. has that on him when he gets killed by the Dilophosaurus and it falls out of his pocket, right, and gets buried in mud. So Dodson, we see that he has recovered this Barbasol can one where, for one reason or another. And when he's trying to escape with it, uh, he also gets killed by the same dinosaurs. Yes. I don't know if they're literally the same ones from, like, I don't know if it's a Roberta situation. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, it no, probably there, is. There is something very enough. satisfying about that, that the Dilophosaurus is really the, you know, the final gateway yeah. of being able to have this science accessible and the Dilophosaurus is like, no, no. you will not. We want to stay extinct. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) And they do make the coolest (laughs) sounds. Like all of the sound design of the dinosaurs is top notch, but the Dilophosaurus, they sound the most bird-like. They have the most Mm -hmm. interesting sound that they make. Yeah, I've always, always loved them. Um, Yeah. And the Giganotosaurus, the only problem with it is that they did nothing to actually build it up as a threat. They were just like, here it is, it's big. And that's why it's crazy because it's so big. Yeah, they should have had some other action sequence where we saw, like, the threat of this thing. And so then when it went into the fight with the Tyrannosaurus Rex, we were, like, worried for Roberta because we had seen the might. It wasn't just, like, the two of them and Roberta's like, I'll never have a deer snack ever. You know, like, (laughs) different. Um, That's just humiliation. She was just humiliated. (laughs) Uh, So lose big three, number two. Um, how many, how many dinosaurs do you think you could fight, Leah? And which dinosaurs do you think you could win, uh, if you were pitted against a dinosaur to fight? Which dinosaurs could you be and how many of them? Zero? Zero. I'm not going to bet on myself in this equation at all. I mean, like, (laughs) if, if the dinosaur is a a hatchling, Mm -hmm. then like maybe I can outrun it. Or maybe I could hit it with something um, or depending on like how small a hatchling and like what kind of dinosaur, like maybe I could stomp, you know, Um, or I could like throw a thing from a distance. Like, you know, like I could do I could do some things for self-defense. But if we're talking about like anything outside of a newborn dinosaur, like, no, like I am dead, dead. (laughs) Um, If it's a Vegetosaurus or what is it? What is the What is the joke they make? Vegisaurus. Yeah. If it's a Vegisaurus, then like maybe I can just appreciate it from a distance. Mm -hmm. I don't bother it. It doesn't bother me because that's what animals do. Mm -hmm. You don't bother it. Leaves you alone. Um, But if we're talking about any kind of carnivore dinosaur, like my days are numbered as in I have no more days. Yeah. I will be dead. (laughs) Um, so you think like if if the baby velociraptor was coming after you, you'd survive that. But if it's like, like one of these, like if it's like one Dilophosaurus, uh, an adult Dilophosaurus, it's over. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Dilophosaurus would get me. I'd be like, how cute, Dad. Um, But I think, you know, the baby Velociraptor, 
interesting. And again, it goes back to like how newborn is this dinosaur mm-hmm. because they still have the claw. So if they got you in the right jump. place, like Adam. Yeah. And if they got you in like a major artery, like, you know, like the thing that like runs down your leg, like if they got you in there, like you'll bleed out. Mm. And like, who knows what kind of like infection you could possibly get from a velociraptor claw. Yeah, You know, like there are just, there are too many variables that we're thankfully never going to know about, you know, unless that woolly mammoth guy changes uh, horses in midstream. And so, yeah, I mean, I just like, I mean, it's still, it's still, it's too, it's too much to gamble with. It's no good. So, okay. So even the baby Velociraptor, that's a maybe. You're not even like totally confident about that. I mean, I would say a 75% chance of survival, but I'm still going to give it 25%. 100% I'm going to give it 25%. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Lose big three, number three. Um, instead of dinosaurs, uh, what, and, and, and of course, instead of a woolly mammoth as well, what extinct creatures should they have used their technology to resurrect? More locusts? No, definitely not locusts. (laughs) Um, oh, a creature that they should Resurrect. I don't know if I'm aware of enough extinct species to uh, to say. I mean, I mean, I guess there's two ways to answer this question, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's the moral answer: what animal or biosystem deserves to live again? Because, mm-hmm. like, maybe a coral reef, right? Okay. Like okay. maybe you use your technology to like bring back the reef. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, the other version of this question is which which character from Ice Age is the cutest? <laughs> I mean, the like squirrel thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah. No. Or but, but the other way to answer this question is what is the most gratuitous? nonsensical animal to use, to misuse this technology. Totally. And I think, I mean, I guess I want to say the dodo just because again, like thinking about an animal that like, why did this ever exist? Why would this exist now? What is the, what is the value add of this animal aside from the novelty factor? Mm Mm-hmm. I guess you got to go with the dodo. That seems pretty classic. Okay. I don't know. Like, what else? What else is dead? Yeah, the dodo. Sabertooth tiger comes to mind because Ice Age. Um, I do love a sabertooth tiger. I cannot tell why. That's good. That would be good, too, because in terms of the gratuitous animal, that is a dangerous thing, right? Yeah. So that would be that would be cool. Sabertooth tiger would be cool. Okay. And then you could have like really intense um sabertooth tiger uh wranglers who would also like kill and mm. they would have the teeth of the sabertooth like on necklaces on their necks and they were like I know the name of each one of these animals that I you know this was Martha whatever. 
and uh, and that would be like a cool character. And uh, then ultimately, like he would die. You know, it would be like it would be like the the raptor hunter in yep. the first film. Yep. What would um, Sabretooth? I think the correct answer to the question is none. Uh, if, if, if something went extinct, we should let it stay extinct. Um, yeah, I mean, we're not talking about correct answers, though, because <laughs> that obviously is the correct answer. Like, if it's dead, it's dead on purpose. Yeah. Leave it alone. Nature selected them for extinction. Uh, dinosaurs had their shot. Um, but I... Yeah, I, they blew it. They yeah. blew it. <laughs> But I think uh, if I did have like the keys to the kingdom, if I had access to this technology and it was up to, and it was all of the decision making was up to me, my instinct says bees, even though they're not extinct. Like I would do something about the fact that bees are going to become extinct. However, I think in my in my in all of my best uh, intentions, it would end up, I would end up getting like making giant locusts or giant bees or something. And it would just create another, a new set of problems. Right. It would um, be like, what is that bee? What is that bee that came over from China or Japan that's been the, killing all of these other bees? Oh, the like at West African killer bee. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's what would happen. Yeah, exactly. I would try to do something to like save or resurrect the bee population and just end up creating like a super prehistoric bee or something that, yeah, just is even worse for for the world. It is um, crazy though. Yeah. Do, do you know if if you find one of those lone, no, if you if if a if a hive of if a hive of normal bees, because the killer bees send out. Uh, like a little scout mm-hmm. to find a hive. And then the whole like swarm of killer bees goes in and they destroy the hive. Yeah. They like rip the heads off, right? Um, if the normal beehive finds the scout, they surround it and they beat their wings really fast and really hard and they basically cook it to death. Yep. With the heat of their wings. That is brutal. That is nature. And that is why mankind could never coexist with the dinosaurs. Yep. Yeah, they... um, That is what happens in nature. They can... I think the bees, they can withstand exactly one degree of temperature higher than the other bees. So they like, they, they, they heat them up to a very precise temperature because one degree hotter and they'll all die. Uh, but as long as they maintain that exact temperature, they kill the invader. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Bees are amazing. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, Lou's Big Three. Those are all of my big questions about Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, but Leah, you've been on the show before, so you know that I have two bonus questions I like to ask every guest. One is, uh, Leah, what's your snack? Um, rarely do we, we usually talk about movies that have been out on video for a while on this podcast, so it's rare we get to talk about one that was in the theater. Uh, so did you get to enjoy any of your favorite like movie theater snacks while seeing Jurassic World Dominion? Lou, I have to tell you, I'm ashamed at the amount of food that I snuck into this double feature. Mm-hmm. Um, so Haribo is my favorite movie snack. I did mention that on the previous episode that I joined you for. Um, I did buy at the theater uh, a bag of 
peanut M&Ms, mm-hmm. also one of my favorite movie snacks. But for this special Jurassic double feature, I brought in Dino Nuggets. I brought in an assortment of different candies from this international candy shop down the street from me. And, and this is kind of where I'm deeply ashamed. I made sliders. I made pork rib sliders for this film. Hell yeah. And I brought them in. And my partner, uh, who was one of the people I saw this film with, he made jello. So that during the first film, we could all hold Jello in our spoons and have it shake when awesome. the kids are eating. Um, but only one of us had any Jello left by that time. But then he got his Jello out. He was ready to, to, to share that moment. Uh, so, yeah, but it was an absurd. I mean, it was five hours of the movie. Yes, yeah. but uh, yeah. but it was an absurd amount of food. To for, bring in, and I, I and I'm apologize to that AMC theater. Oh no, 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 you don't owe them anything. They, they, like, there actually are no rules. This is I, I talk about this almost every time we do what's your snack. There are no rules in any movie theater about bringing in outside food. They actually don't care about that. Um, oh. Especially if you also buy, if you end up buying like a bag of M and M's from their concession stand or whatever, like they don't yeah. have rules against it. So you're not really you're not. Uh, you're not losing AMC any any money that uh, is going to affect them in any in any big way. So don't have any guilt about that. Interesting. Um, I did once bring a um, a Caesar salad into a movie. Yeah. And there was a there was a senior citizen couple in front of me, and the the gentleman of that couple was very distraught because he he thought the Caesar salad was a little too potent of dressing. But uh, I enjoyed my salad, wow. and that was a great movie. Bright Young Things, Stephen Fry, excellent film. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was a fine experience. So that was, that was another thing I snuck in once. Um, I also, uh, also like, you planned well. You were going into a five-hour, you know, marathon yeah. of, of, experience, of movie experience. Um, for me, it was, like, six and a half hours, because I also <laughs> did the double feature at my theater – uh, they they played the first movie, and then at the end of it, they came in and they were like, "Hey, everybody, we're real sorry due to technical issues. Um, we're having trouble playing the next film in this theater, so everybody needs to get up and move over to this other theater." When we got to the next to the other theater, which was right next to it, uh, there were people in there that had only bought tickets for the new Jurassic World. They didn't buy oh, tickets no. for the double feature. So these AMC employees were coming in and being like, so sorry, you got to give up your seats for the people that bought tickets for the double feature. Because uh, we had priority, I guess, in this situation, even though they were moving us to a different theater. Um, I don't know if there was an issue with like my seat in particular, because I had bought mine like the day they went on sale weeks ago. And uh, I got that like perfect middle seat, like on the, you know, in the fifth row um and when i when i got to the second theater i didn't have to like argue with any like there wasn't somebody sitting there that i had you know had to be like hey that's my seat actually it's my seat um but the people right next to me had that exact same kind of exchange with the people that were sitting there uh and Mm. like an amc employee had to come instead it was a whole debacle and then on top of it all when they finally got everything sorted out they start playing the movie and I've seen Jurassic Park one enough times 
that just from the Universal logo and the first few notes of the John Williams score, I was like, oh no, oh no, they're playing the first movie again. (laughs) And sure enough, within a few minutes, everyone else started to realize that, and somebody got up, they went and like, but they played a good like 10 minutes of the film before somebody finally came in and they're like, we're so sorry, we messed up again, Uh, we're we're gonna play the new movie. Um, and somebody, I'll never forget this. Somebody yelled, no trailers, please. <laughs> Cause we had already set, sat through the same set of trailers twice. So right. that was my whole debacle. And luckily I had bought the, uh, commemorative, uh, gigantic popcorn tin. Yes, with the, the tin. I saw people it. leaving with the tin. Uh, which was that and like some almonds and some Twizzlers that I brought and like a a lot of water was enough to get me through uh, pretty much like a quarter of a day. Uh, It was (laughs) a a long time. I I don't know how people did those Marvel movie marathons leading up to Endgame. I don't know how people see Angels in America, to be honest with you. Oh, that is also very long. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I guess, yeah, you got to take breaks. But for mm-hmm. us, there was, like, maybe 10 minutes between the movies. Like, there mm-hmm. was really, like, no break at all. They didn't announce when they were going to start the second one. One of my friends had gone to go get, like, smoke a cigarette. And I was mm-hmm. texting him. I'm like, it's starting. Um, but we didn't have any trailers before the second one for our double feature. That's good. good. But, yeah. Um, my last bonus question and uh, is... Uh, if we were to replace any two actors or dinosaurs in this film with Danny DeVito and Whoopi Goldberg, who would we replace and how would it improve the film? Whoopi Goldberg would be the Teteronosaurus. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then Danny DeVito. Blue. Oh, no, Beta. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. 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 Danny DeVito CGI'd like his face on the baby dinosaur or just Danny DeVito in a costume, like prosthetics and makeup. I mean, both are excellent options, but I like the idea of him in costume Mm -hmm. because then you get to see his physical embodiment of Beta and the choices he would make. And I think that that would be really interesting. In terms that's of execution. Yeah, yeah, that's the money right there. I don't have a better answer than that. That's perfect. Um, all right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on to talk to me about Jurassic World Dominion. I've been dying to talk to somebody about it since I saw it. Um, so I'm so glad that you came on today. Listeners, you may, uh, you may have recognized Leah's voice this whole time because she was on a previous episode where we talked about... Um, you'll have to help me with the German name of the movie, but I'm your man. Uh, ich bin dein Mensch. Did I ich say bin right? Dein Mensch. Ich bin dein Mensch. That sounds, I mean, that sounds yeah. German for the, yeah. those words. <laughs> um, so Leah, why don't you tell listeners where else they can find you and what else you're working on these days? Um, I do have an Instagram that I never update. It's, uh, at Leah MG Okay. I think that's my handle. Okay. It's pretty bad when you don't know your own handle. That means we'll have a link to it you're not logging on. Yeah, it's fine. Actually, the last post is for 
the previous podcast with you. That was the last oh, time. No. <laughs> Perfect. But I'm going to, I'm going to get back on that bandwagon at some point, I'm sure. Cool. And, uh, yes, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Sometimes. And you were telling me earlier, uh, before we started recording that you're working you know, on a new show, uh, the new play exchange. Uh, no, I had a short play posted on the New Play Exchange. The New Play Exchange is an online platform for playwrights who are largely unpublished or for plays that are largely unpublished. Some published playwrights have things there that are unpublished. Uh, and kind of smaller non-for-profit theater companies can go on search within certain parameters if they're looking for something for a festival if they want to cast for a specific uh breakdown of actors or looking for plays that are new developing or examine a specific theme that they're not aware of all of these things um but it's a great resource if you're looking for work that might be just not well known mm-hmm. uh but anyway a play that i wrote in response to a prompt from you, uh, is going to be produced in a playwrights festival in Spokane, Washington. I believe the company is called Stage Left. So that's great. And this company, I do want to say they pay all of their artists. I'm getting a little money. The actors who will do the play will get a little money. And they make a point of paying everyone involved in production. And that's not a practice that everybody does. And I yeah. think that it should be done more. And I think that that's incredibly commendable that they make a point of doing that. So I just want to say that for them. That's awesome. Uh, can you send me a website link or something I could put in the show notes that people mm-hmm. want to find out more? Awesome. Uh, what was, out of curiosity, what was the prompt? You were doing some work at a small theater downtown um and we had been talking about plays being done in black box theaters yeah i think there might have been an opportunity for you to produce a festival down there and so i wrote a play for that space and i did i ended up sending it to you at some point yeah Um, oh that's right at the, the the crane theater uh okay well, awesome. Um, I Like I said, I'm going to uh, have a link to that and everywhere else you can find Leah in the show notes. So check that out. Um, thank you for listening to this episode. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening to on. Uh, if you have any uh, questions, concerns, or love mail or hate mail that you want to send in, robosvdinos at gmail.com, or you can find us on social media by searching for Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Um, this has been very fun. Uh, my final thoughts on this movie are it's, it is objectively terrible, but I loved it, and, I'm, and I can't wait to go see it again. And you will enjoy it. As long as you have the right expectations, you will enjoy this movie. Keep them low, yeah. and you will enjoy this movie. <laughs> uh, keep them low like the like the the ramp on your cargo plane as uh, your friend is riding their motorcycle up to it to try to catch it before you take off. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Friend or complete stranger. Yes. Uh, So we will see you next time and thanks for listening. Thank you. These are movies about dinosaurs. These are movies about 
Dinosaurs. Exactly. Exactly. But why would dinosaurs do this? They're just like me. They're just like me. Like, why the woolly mammoth? Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Yeah, I'm here to see the Giganotosaurus get... Kebobbed. Like, I don't know if it's a Roberta situation. That's all I have to say about this whale situation. ACDC just uh thunder. Roberta will never die. 